Good day, everyone, and welcome to another Bloody Movie Podcast. I am Sean Coates. Thank you very much for joining me in what is a very special uh, edition of another Bloody Movie Podcast. I know I say that every single week, or not week, because this podcast is very, very scattershot and very irregular into how we actually release episodes here. I'm hoping to change that, though, but I'm here today. It is Thursday, March 18th, 2021, and I say that date because today is the day that The Grizzlies, a brand new Canadian sports film that is based on a true story, is released all the all across Australia in cinemas today. Australia, we're very lucky to be in a position where cinemas are open. I know we're the envy of the world because of that, and with everything and with a lot of other factors as well. But this film, although it took quite a long time to get to Australia, two and a half years since its premiere at the Toronto International Film Festival, and it's finally here. Now, it took two and a half years and a pandemic to get to Australia, but now it is playing in cinemas. And earlier this morning, I had a chance to chat with the director of the film, Miranda Deponcier, over Zoom, all the, who joined me all the way from Toronto, Canada, to talk about her film that is across Austra- that is out across Australia from today. You'll hear that interview in just a moment, but first, let's talk a little bit about the film. The plot synopsis reads, Based on a true story, The Grizzlies is more than the usual triumph through sports story. For it doesn't shy away from moving depictions of the poverty and isolation characteristic of too many northern communities. When first-time teacher Russ Shepard comes to Kuglatuk, he brings preconceived notions about northern life and no little hubris about his self-imposed mission to bring about change. An interconnected chain of dramatic incidents, however, and some quieter cross-cultural corrections, lead Russ to understand that education is a two-way street. Initially, the hastily built lacrosse team seems mild after-school fun, but soon becomes the lightning rod for the community's differing views on its future. Driven by remarkable performances from the, from the young Nunavut-based cast and seeded with unassailable authenticity because of its dramatic location, The Grizzlies proves to be one of the most unexpectedly affirming films of the year. While that synopsis says it's not your typical sports film, which it really isn't. There is a there's a lot that really sets this movie apart from the pack, but it still has the great like sort of feel of a sports film that makes you want to, you know, really it really gets you invested with these characters and like, you know, takes you on their emotional journey and like it just makes you want to stand and cheer for them and it's just it has that really great sort of atmosphere that really great aspect to it. But also it's very different in the fact that this film also has a big focus on not only just a community that you don't often see on screen and in the cinematic landscape really that much at all it also tackles some very very sensitive issues like you know domestic violence and depression and suicide that are like you know that are very rampant within these within these uh, inuit and indigenous communities and this film easily very easily could have fallen into the fallen into the trappings of becoming a white savior narrative but personally, I don't think it does, and Miranda does get into that a little bit in our interview. So without further ado, um, here is my interview I did with the director of The Grizzlies, Miranda Deponcier, earlier this morning, who joined me over Zoom all the way from Toronto, Canada. Hope you enjoy. Miranda Deponcier, thank you very much for joining me. Thanks for having me. So your film premiered at Toronto all the way back in September of 2018, and Two and a half years later, in March 2021, it finally gets a release in Australia. It has been a pretty long road. I know we had a pandemic, like, right in the middle of all that, but it's taken its time. It's taken its time, but I am so, 
stoked that it's it's you know opening in theaters in Australia and New Zealand. I'm so jealous you guys have theaters open. I'm still in lockdown, so I haven't been in a movie theater in a year. But um, we were supposed to actually go out in the United States in theaters uh, last March, literally March 22nd, if you oh, can no. imagine <laughs> the worst possible date for releasing a feature film. So we got shut down because of COVID. And then at that time, everyone thought, oh, whatever, it'll just be a few weeks and the world will go back to normal. And then uh, we tried again to release it in the States in July and that tanked again. So it had to go digitally there. So. I'm just so happy because, you know, the visuals, getting to see the Arctic on a big screen. I'm glad that, uh, I'm glad Australia and New Zealand's gonna be able to see it, how it should be seen. Definitely, I was pretty shattered. I couldn't make the press showing in a cinema, but I did watch your film on a screener and it still was a pretty good, just on my flat screen TV and it's quite big too, so that was nice. Um, but yeah, you mentioned, co how is the COVID situation over there in Canada and how have you been personally dealing with the, uh, with lockdown? <laughs> well, I think it's so personal, right? I mean, I think it it's, it's super tragic uh, for some, devastating for some. Um, it's a, a big bummer for some. Um, for me personally, I have been very glad for COVID because I was on a bit of a sort of, um, I was like a squirrel in a I don't know, in a yard um, running around like crazy just before COVID and I was pretty burnt out. I just made a feature film, obviously the Grizzlies and I also had a television series that I exact produced for Netflix. So I, I was just really crazy and I was happy to stop and breathe and um, yeah, have an excuse to walk in the woods and um, be a human for a while and be reflective. So I kind of hope that more conscious thing that's happened where people have slowed down and thought about what's important and leaned into the lives that are right in front of them um, and maybe the people right in front of them whether that whether they stay with them or not or whatever their situation is but yeah I, I've been grateful for this time of reflection and like a hiatus uh, like, but I'm ready. I'm ready to go back now. I'm like, bring like, please. I want I life say, back it's, again. It's been too long now, hasn't it? <laughs> now I'm ready. I'm ready. But uh, yeah. Yeah. So your film. I think we're going to be shut down for another couple months still. So. Oh no, that's that's a shame. But um, hopefully you can still keep this sort of positive outlook you've had about lockdown. But your film, The Grizzlies. Um, tell us how you first like how you first heard about the story of this uh, lacrosse team in these Inuit communities and then also how you got involved with this film yeah i was sent an espn news piece about the kugluktuk grizzlies so it was just a sort of 7 minute news clip about a group of kids in a small arctic community whose lives were transformed through sport and who they had the highest suicide rate in north america it's an indigenous inuit community and so um, I was sort of interested in it as an inspirational sports drama. I love sports stories and I had suffered from depression in high school and sports had really helped me get through. So I thought I was making a sports drama. And then I flew up to the Arctic for the first time and met the real kids who the story is about. And I had never been to an indigenous to an Inuit community before. And it was immediately apparent that I knew nothing about this culture. And it, although this was my country, it was a very different, I'm from the South of a big city and I'm a white girl, you know? So um, this was a world that was not 
something I knew a lot about. And uh, immediately I was aware, became aware of the responsibility to tell this story authentically and well. And also the only way to do that would be to find in, Inuit and in indigenous partners. And was it easy to do that? <laughs> no, <laughs> um, I had to keep uh, badgering people. I, I had met that the very first trip to the Arctic, I met a young woman named Stacy Aglick McDonald and uh, she was super smart and was doing a workshop, a film, leading a film workshop. And there weren't, there's not a big history of filmmaking in the Arctic and there hadn't 10 years ago, there was even less. Um, you know, not because there's not a lot of talented people, but there just hadn't been opportunity. Um, and so I immediately glommed onto her. And when I got back to my home in Toronto, I kept calling up to the Arctic and emailing her and I wasn't hearing back from her. And I finally uh, reached someone else that I knew, knew her. And I said, how do I reach her? I really want her to, to come on board and help me make this movie. And they said, oh, Stacy doesn't like white people from the South coming to the Arctic to make movies. Like she's not gonna ever call you back. <laughs> and I thought, well, then that's exactly, and then I'm not gonna give up and that's exactly who I need because maybe if I get her on board, she won't let me screw it up. And um, man, am I so lucky that um, I was obnoxious and didn't take no for an answer. And, and she's amazing and she brought on another producing partner, Alethea Arna Cook-Burrell, who's also a Nook. So I had these two strong indigenous women um, just kind of reading me the riot act and showing me the ropes and, um, and, and saying, okay, if you wanna do this, here's what you have to do to do it properly. And one of the biggest things they taught me were, was that obviously there's a history in our country as there is in your country of white people uh, you know, making a lot of mistakes when it comes to relationships with indigenous people and our governments made a lot of mistakes and, um, you know, colonization has, um, has, uh, has birthed a lot of trauma and a lot of um, systemic issues in communities. And um, so uh, they were obviously aware of that and they made me really aware of it in an emotional way where they said, don't be another white person um, who's going to be a part of the problem. Like if you want to make this, then we're going to have training programs. We're going to have mental health support. We're going to train in the community, kids who audition uh, for the film. Um, we don't want them to, to not, you know, to, to just kind of have disappointment if they don't get in the movie. So we're going to do workshops where we teach throat singing and drum dancing and mask work and, and other programs that knowledge filmmaking that they can take back to their communities. So it was very much uh, constantly thinking about the impact of making a film in this community and how to do more with the film than just make a film, how to make it lasting and, and beneficial to the community beyond just making a movie. Uh, that is a terrific answer for a really stupid question. Like, no, of course, nothing is easy when making a film. <laughs> but for you to go, like, for you and your team to go to those lengths, that's pretty incredible. Um, and you mentioned there isn't really much cinema about uh, Indigenous and Inuit communities in Canada. And you've kind of talked about here in Australia, at least, I've noticed recently there has been sort of a resurgence of Indigenous cinema. And I've noticed just on the festival circuit as well, like some that's kind of happening in Canada as well. Like the last couple of years, films like um, 
the body remembers when the world broke open and uh, Quesapan, uh, your film. And also just last week here in Melbourne, we had the Biraranga Film Festival, which is an indigenous film festival. And a large portion of the, the programming of the festival was Canadian indigenous cinema. Does like in Canada, does it feel like there's this sort of resurgence of indigenous and Inuit cinema going on right now? A hundred percent. And it's so exciting. I mean, I just think Oh, there's so many talented voices, I think, with a lot of the movements of I Don't Know More and Black Lives Matter and Me Too and this understanding of realizing how many voices have been really suppressed in cinema and it's just been a lot of white dudes making movies for a long time that I just think it's like finally we're getting the, 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 this, this, these possibilities of having other points of view and other stories being told and people being able to tell their stories. Um, so I'm so excited about what's going on in, in indigenous cinema and since the Grizzlies, because I, I made friends with a number of Inuit and indigenous filmmakers through the process. Um, I'm now working with a few um, indigenous filmmakers right now, and I'm kind of stepping back into a kind of, um, support position and really um, doing what I can to, to help them make their stories. So that's exciting. You know, it's interesting. I was in, um, I made a film in New Zealand 31 years ago and I remember reading The Bone People and seeing Once for Warriors um, and Nikki Caro's like, you know, Whale Rider and these early films that gave me a sense of indigenous um, life in other communities, but it's been, a long time since those movies have been out there. And I just think it's really awesome that we're all, the world is gonna kind of get to see these new filmmakers and these new stories being told. So it's definitely coming, it's growing. Um, and I think it's exciting, yeah. So you have done a lot of work both as an actress and as a producer prior to this. And especially for a film like this, which is your directorial debut, uh, it's a big task. What sort of challenges came with making a film like this and especially as a non-Indigenous person to telling the story? Well, it had a lot of practical beyond the sort of the bigger question of um, working on a film that had Indigenous themes and me not being Indigenous. It had everything you're not supposed to have in your first feature film. So it had animals, dogs, um, people who don't speak the same language, um, actors that have never acted before, stunts, fights, sports, <laughs> weather, shooting oh, in the Arctic. Um, so yeah, <laughs> so um, you know, challenges like we were shooting in the spring and in the in the Arctic in the winter, it's twenty four hours of darkness, and then in the summer, it's twenty four hours of daylight. So as we moved out of the dark into the light, we were actually chasing the dark we were needing more night scenes and it was getting too bright we were only getting like three hours of night a day and we were like wow. i mean the opposite of most filmmakers who are trying to you know chase the light so there's so many things like that we did a scene and a seal hunting scene where you had to go out on the ice and you can imagine 50 crew members we took everything out onto the ice on skidoos. We went out, we had a, all these expert hunters that were teaching us because it was a seal hunting. So we had experts that were sort of saying, oh, this, this area is okay to be out on the ice. We're on the middle of the Arctic Ocean. And the next day we came back in, it rained. And they said, that's it for the rest of the season. 
it's too fragile that ice now it's going to break up and become ocean again. And so we were one day away. We would have had to wait an entire year to shoot that scene again. So there was stuff like that that just practically it was insane. Um, but certainly the biggest challenge of all was, yeah, being being a white Southern settler Canadian girl who was from the city and um, and and having to figure out and navigate how to respectfully tell a story um, about, uh, you know, systemic issues and indigenous, indigenous people. Um, the good thing is the kind of the film is about that. The film is about also, you know, it's about young indigenous people being really empowered. And it's also about them teaching um, a kind of ignorant white guy from the South. So I was the ignorant white guy from the South in the journey of making this movie. And I had a lot of um, wise teachers who allowed me to make mistakes and um, yeah, allowed me to stumble along the way. And, and I just, I, I think I just learned to get humble and listen because um, I wouldn't have been able to make it, you know, without them. Or if I, if I had, it would have been really bad. <laughs> just talking about that and then also with I know we're almost out of time so I'll try to be quick here like and in terms of all of those movements that have happened I've seen one of the big criticisms about your film despite it being you know based on a true story is that it's a white savior narrative in that real like especially with all of the work that you've done into this film is it really disappointing to hear that well I think what it is is people see they read the one line about the movie or they hear it's about a white teacher who comes to an indigenous community and they immediately think, oh God, it's another one of those white savior movies. So they have an assumption, but every single time what's happened for any of those doubters, once they've seen the film, they will understand that actually what the film is about is hopefully killing the crap out of that white savior narrative forever showing that, you know, that's bullshit. And actually what we need is a, a way more nuanced stories. And the fact is the truth of the matter is the real story is that the kids, you know, Russ Shepard, the teacher made a lot of mistakes and yes, he introduced a sport but it was the kids that took it and did something with it. It yeah. was student led, it was student run. They were the ones that went through big transformations. They were really teachers for him. And it took him getting humble to have to even be an effective teacher. So I think that once you see the film, you see that actually it starts out looking like it might be what the movie you've seen before about a white person coming into an indigenous community, but it ends up flipping it on its head and really saying yeah it's kind of the opposite people and and um and that that trope is dangerous and in fact if you know i think russ's journey is learning that too he can't just come in mm. and try to dominate because if he does he's going to fail mm. i totally 100 percent agree um one last question um what is the one thing that you want audiences to take away from both the real stories of the, the real true story of the Kuglatuk Grizzlies and then also your film? Well, I wish I could say it as eloquently as my Inuit co-producers because I think, you know, Aletha and Stacy talk about really what they hope is, is taken away from the film is a kind of um, understanding that uh, that if you are going to 
if you are not from a community and you're going to go in and have a relationship with that community, that you need to listen and learn. That it's not your place to come in and try to make change. Um, and in fact, not even, not even in quotes, help unless you're asked for help. So I think, I think uh, we're all starting to talk more about um, about problems in 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 kind of white su white supremacy and and the dangers of that. And and I and I have more hope for the future for for all of our communities in that regard, in that learning. Um, I think for me, what I hope is that young um, indigenous kids in your country see the film and get to see versions of themselves as heroes on screen. Um, and to know that even when things are tough, even when you're challenged with um, either yourself or your community is challenged with massive issues and trauma that you have the power to overcome, that it's okay to still seek joy, um, even if there's pain around you. And um, I certainly have watched and witnessed a number of kids working on the movie from indigenous communities, kids who've seen the film, and they really feel that. I think they feel that, um, that ultimately, if they had internalized racism before the film, that the film can give them hope and belief in themselves. So, yeah, and I think for for those of us who are not indigenous to see the movie and learn something about indigenous culture um, and uh, respect for other people, to stay curious, to stay open and to listen. Definitely, it's certainly what I took away from it and I hope audiences around Australia do too. And on that, uh, and as maybe I said just, before, And look at the Arctic too. Yeah, oh, it's beautiful. <laughs> it's beautiful. So, and if people want to see the beautiful Arctic and this really, really great inspirational true story, uh, it is out in cinemas across Australia from today. Um, it's getting quite a wide release too. That's probably, a, you know, with not a lot of films around, The Grizzlies gets a much bigger release. So um, head to thegrizzliesmovie.com.au for cinema locations where it is playing. A big thank you for Miranda for joining me. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And go see these amazing performers, these young first time actors. They're incredible. Thank you for having me. Another big thank you for Miranda Deponsier for joining me earlier this morning. It was a great interview. And please, please go seek out The Grizzlies. It is in cinemas across Australia from today. To find out if it is playing at your local cinema, there is a full list of cinema locations across Australia and New Zealand and Fiji as well. So if there are any listeners in any of those countries and you want to go see this film, check your local cinema listings, but also go to thegrizzliesmovie.com.au where there is a full list of cinema locations where the film is playing from today. And thank you very much for listening in to this episode. Um, if you enjoyed this, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We're on SoundCloud, we're on Spotify, we're on Apple Podcasts, we're everywhere you get podcasts, anywhere you get podcasts, just search for Another Bloody Movie Podcast and hit that subscribe button. You can like us on Facebook, you can follow us on Twitter at ab movie podcast and on instagram at another bloody movie pod um please 
go follow those because I understand they're quite inactive at the moment. But if people go follow them, I'll be more active on them because I'm starting to, I'm planning to get this podcast on a more semi-regular basis. And I have, I have an idea for a podcast series that I want to do. And I'm just going to try and organize that soon. So please stay tuned for that. Uh, you can also read my written stuff over at moviebabble.com. Um, I'm currently, the, the, the site is covering uh, the, a couple of film festivals at the moment. Uh, our, our, our founder, Nick, is currently uh, covering the South by Southwest Film Festival. So uh, he's reviewing films for that. So keep, keep an eye on those reviews. And I'm also currently covering, along with a couple of other writers, the uh, Alliance Francaise French Film Festival, which is screening at Palace Cinema's locations all across Australia throughout March. So uh, keep an eye out for coverage on that. I'll be reviewing uh, the tennis film, Final Set, another sports film. Uh, that review will be out hopefully within the next couple of days. Uh, it's good. Um, I'll also be reviewing Nobody very soon, um, the Bob Odenkirk uh, grizzled old man action film uh, direct from the director of Hardcore Henry and the writer of John Wick. I'm currently under embargo for that. Uh, that review will be out once the embargo is lifted, and that will be uh, over at moviebabble.com. Uh, also, if you don't, I've also got just, if you don't want to read my very long film musings on Movie Babble, you can go to my shorter, jokier stuff over at Letterboxd, where you can follow me. That is letterboxd.com forward slash Sean Coates. That is S-E-A-N-C-O-A-T-E-S. And you can also follow my personal socials. I mean, they're not that personal. They're all public. They're all public accounts uh, on Instagram and at Twitter, both at Sean Hub underscore. That is S-E-A-N. H-U-B underscore. Thank you very much for joining me. Um, I plan to have an episode next week. Um, I'm, I'm going to try and do this more weekly from now on, whether that be just a regular sort of new release episode or maybe try to do some more film fiascos or this new series of... Um, this new series of podcasts I'm going to try and get off the ground. I want to do the podcast a lot more regularly and finally become a real podcast. So on the next episode, I'll have my... Uh, good friend and um, a fellow babbler, fellow writer at Movie Babble, Blake, coming on to talk about Godzilla v. Kong and uh, a bunch of movies that we've been watching at the Alliance Francaise French Film Festival. So keep an eye out for that next week. But until then, we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Goodbye.